Welcome to the Touching Into Presence podcast. This podcast is for people who are interested in body work, empowerment, and somatic-based practices. I am Nikki Olson. I'm Andrew Rosenstock. We are certified rolfers. Collectively, we're trained in various movement and bodywork therapies with an emphasis on somatic awareness and client resilience. Through conversations, our goal is to share and explore mind-body paradigms to offer empowerment possibilities. We're grateful to be in conversation with Bibiana Badanis today. Bibiana is a physical therapist, advanced rolfer, and a teacher of rolf movement. She has studied different psychosomatic bodywork therapies throughout the world and is currently investigating and creating a program she calls Body Intelligence, Intelligentsia Corporal, as a way to discover one's potential through one's body. She has remained at the leading edge of body-mind treatments, and her love and enthusiasm for healing work and for people is immediately evident in her whole being. A pioneer in connecting and building bridges of contact among distinct therapeutic disciplines, Bibiana searches for an interdisciplinary dialogue through health which can be accessible to anyone. She created Body Wisdom Spain to fulfill this vision. In today's conversation, we'll discuss what brought Bibiana to this path, the current situation of bodywork in Spain amidst COVID, what rolfing is for her, and why she loves this work. So with that, let's begin our talk. Hello. Hi. Thanks for um, making time for us. So how is practicing in Spain right now? Well, we have a full practice, in in fact. And it's, um, we, uh, it's been slowly, but I think that uh, people are quite confident. So I'm very surprised for, for, for that. And the people are not afraid at all. I mean, we keep uh, all the measurements that we were supposed to do, you know, like, you know, people in the waiting room, if people wait, they wait outside. And we, we work in uh, three practitioners, like uh, three physical therapies. And one is working 50%, but because she wants to work like this, and the other uh, should say it's working 80%. So I think that it's, uh, I don't see people being afraid of, of touch. Uh, I'm, I'm very surprised, so for good, because I thought in, in April that we will not be able to go back really to, to practice. And, and probably I thought this is going to really take a very long time till people, and no, all of a sudden, July, it's like uh, every other month. So, mm. And would you say... What would you attribute that to? Is that cultural or your cases are really down? Or in people my are just area, over it? In my area, uh, we have not had many cases, which I think that that's good. And uh, life can be outdoors a lot. We, we li- I live, I mean, two blocks from the beach. And, mm. and I think that and, and I have mountains behind. And there is many opportunities to be outdoors and separate. 
Uh, and then I think that the, the restaurants here, not like in America, we do many things in the streets. So what the, the town has done, it's, they have um, uh, at, uh, from 8 p.m. till uh, midnight, they have uh, stopped the cars in the city. So that makes that when the shops close, the restaurants can be, so people can be, they can bring um. more tables outside. And that has been really nice. So I think that uh, the occupancy, people are outside, they can separate and you can walk through that. So it means that you don't have to walk in the sidewalk so so close. So I think that that has been uh, good for, for the tourists. We don't have so many international tourists because we, we usually get a lot of uh, from France and England and you don't see them, but a lot of national tourists a lot of people from Spain, they are here. So that's it. We will see, you know, mm. we go week by week. Yes. Yeah. So, but the good news, I, I, as the economy is open for you, the cases are still say relatively low. No, no. They, are, they are increasing. Yeah. But I think that they, they, they have a, a new measurement here that it actually was developed by a friend of mine that they measure because of the uh, the wastewater that goes uh, in the bathroom. Mm. They collect that in all the neighborhoods and they can in advance before you have symptoms if the COVID is in the area. So I this is something like that. Yeah, so this is, it went to the United States. It's very international, but they start it was a guy who, who comes to my practice and he has a big company for doing kind of water things and so on. So they are going all over Spain now to, and I think that he gives me information uh, daily about what's going on, you know, how is my area, how is my neighborhood, how is my, and, and it's interesting because uh, a month ago he say it's empty, totally empty. And now he knows that it's we have, have having the same numbers as in March, but it seems that the uh, people that they get contagious, uh, the symptoms are much lower. Mm. And we are testing much more people. So statistics, I mean, less symptoms, more people test. So it's, I don't know. Mm. I think that... Uh, we will see when, and I think that more young, younger people are getting contagious. I think that older people have got more, excuse me, more protected. Like uh, they are more um, taking care of themselves like before they didn't know and so on. And I, I don't know. It's going to be, uh, what I see, uh, what I feel is that uh, people in general, uh, they're not so afraid of touch as they used to be a few months ago. Hmm. So that's a good sign that the people need to be touched and, and necessary. And I'm getting people that they have have someone who has died during the lockdown mm-hmm. and they were not able to, to say goodbye. And that has been really, really tough for, for people. You see the emotional part of that in the body. A lot of people like almost having... Uh, really a trauma you know you see like uh, 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 i have have uh, a couple of women that they 
have become widows and and you could see that they were reacting, not being able to say goodbye properly, you know, hugging uh, families and so on. Mm. So it uh, makes me to really appreciate how how we work and how we are able to to give support from through our touch to the nervous system to regulate people's life. So and mm. and really. Uh, seen how because I, I've seen that a lot of people came with a, you know neck pain or, or difficulties in the chest and I realized that there was nothing wrong it was just how they were really responding to the to this situation mm. so that, that that's a, a good way for me to sort of segue in to ask you how how did you get involved like what brought you to this type of work with Rolfin yeah well, um, actually, um, I was a teenager with a lot of back pain. I have scoliosis, and uh, they, the doctor told me that I should swim. So I went to a swim team, and I started swimming. And that gave me the first kind of understanding of how important it was to exercise. But I was still having pain in my back. And... And then I I studied physiotherapy and probably that was part of wanting to save myself unconsciously or wanted to go into that profession to help people. And and I was in a course, in a physio course, and and I was myself the model for the teacher. And then he he touched me. It was a manual therapy, kind of myofascial release course. And he touch my head and my neck in a way that right away I felt he understands me. It was the first really uh, um, body connection that I have through touch, you know. I mean, it was very deep. He went very deep in my nervous system and I didn't know what's going on. So I turn around and I look at him and I say, where did you learn this? You know, very humble, very almost like a child. And he said, I was in an ashram in, in India and there were a few rolfers. And I say, rolfers? And he said, yeah, people that they practice uh, the Rolf method, Rolfing, structure integration. And I got, a, I got along with some of them and they were teaching me this kind of myofascial techniques. And I said, okay. So that was, that was his uh, piece. And then next day I was walking in town and I went by by a kind of a health shop that I'm talking about more than 30 years ago. And I saw a mini book that it says Rolfing. And I said, I can't believe it. I went, I bought it. It was a, a small book that Peter Swin from Germany, he wrote. And then there was uh, addresses. So I wrote. We have to remember that to get information at that time was not as easy as it is today. So I think that I wrote to the Rolf Institute. They wrote me back and they say, there are two rolfers right now in Barcelona. They're from Chile. So I went there by train. I received my first session. And it was very weird for me because, you know, coming from physio, you know, and telling my colleagues and my family that I was going to a person that it was not a physio and he was going to touch me. So, or, or do some kind of therapy. 
and I wanted to finish the sessions and then I decided, well, this is, has a, a really intelligent way of working. Uh, it was not a total transformation for me, I had to say, um, but it was, it was a beginning. It was a beginning of understanding how important was that my body tensions were related to my emotions. I was, I was kind of understanding what to be in the body meant and how important was so many of the concepts from Rolfing, gravity, the therapy, many of those things, I have no clue even if I received the session, what they meant after a few years after. And, but it was, it was really for me, it was, it was the beginning. So then um, I applied and they told me that I was too young. So I went into, I was, I think that I was 22, 23. So I wait, I had my first child and I say, just thinking that this will go away and I will, I will study some other thing. I did many courses related to osteopathy. I found some other people uh, to do some other courses. But uh, I felt that quality. It was, for me, it was really how, how to see the person, you know, intellectually, it was something that I also wanted to do. You know, it was, you know, make me not to do the same thing to everyone. It got me, and then I was very curious about movement. How important was the relationship after you change your structure, how you have new possibilities to move, new choices, and, and then, and then I went in the year 94, and I study half of the training in Italy and half of the training in in Germany. Mm -hmm. Wow, it's a great, um, it's a beautiful, beautiful story. Especially, I, I love this sort of coincidence of, you know, you hear about something and then the next day it's just in your face. And you're not the only person I've talked to that has had very, you know, similar experiences before. I, I think that that it's really beautiful when I hear that sort of thing. Yeah. I was really surprised, you know, it was like, well, even a book in Spanish, you know, it was not in, even in English. So I was really, um, you know, I think that I had to say that through the years, all these coincidences were not never coincidence, you know, mm -hmm. that they have have a link in my, in my life. If I, you know, like, you know, you have those children's, kind of things that you follow the numbers or you follow the letters. So this is how I've seen my life and all the trainings that I've done and so on. I, they, have, they had a meaning that probably when I chose them, I was, I was, I was not so sure or I was sure, but I, they have a really meaning to take it. So they have brought me what I am today. Yeah, lovely. Yeah, I do love that. And when you are putting that in context of what I think you might be mentioning is connect the dots. When you're connecting mm -hmm. the dots and you end up with a picture. Mm. Is that is that what the analogy you're comparing it yes. to? Yes, yes, that was that's what my English was not accurate enough, but I made yeah. that. Really no, I think yeah. that was beautiful. And so at first I wanted to say I think you have a great story of how you came to the work and from an ashram 
to physical therapy to to your in in certification. But if you're to connect the dots, what's the picture that was created? Well, um, when I was a teenager, when they asked me, well, what do you want to study? I never said physiotherapy. I never said anything related to the body. I said something related um, to more like, you know, like uh, psychology, sociology, anthropology, bringing, you know, the, the profession did not exist. There was no, it was very separate, everything in Spain. You are a psychology or you are a medical doctor or you're a physical therapy. And there was no interfaces between any profession, among other professions. So I think that uh, uh, Rolfing was the beginning of creating my own profession, of understanding, uh, uh, seeing the, a person from more holistic approach knowing what do you need to develop yourself. So I use Rolfing, but I use a lot of anatomy, experiential anatomy. I use a lot of movement. Like uh, I was not, I was not, uh, I didn't have a very good coordination myself. So I, for many years, I did not dare to teach movement in terms of showing myself, you know, like uh, in a group and so on. So now I'm teaching movement and this is one of the things that I'm really enjoying and I think that because I went through this journey myself of being crooked, having the back pain, having a frozen shoulder or having all these things have made me to understand and have this intuition of how to bring others potential in a way that it's not about, um, you know, not promising, but it's about Okay, how do you relate to space? How do you express yourself? How do you feel comfortable? And then, um, you know, we call it pathology and in shoulder impeachment, tight mouth, or TMJ problems. So how you relate your emotional part into your expression, into your daily movements, and how with, there is no this fluid movement that we injure ourselves. Yeah, that's, that's, that's beautiful. I mean, when you were saying before about um, when you went through your 10 series, how you didn't have a, like the, you know, transformative experience per se. I, I was actually pretty similar that I didn't quite have that going through my first 10 series. But I find with the movement, because my, my, I didn't have a lot of movement in my first 10 series. And I find later that with the movement um, coupled with going through the series, that's when I get my, that, that works really well for me. So I try to bring so much movement in when I'm working with people, but I learn a lot from, from watching some of the, the stuff you had on online before. I mean, you, you post uh, a good amount uh, or you did post a good amount of, of movement and it's, it's, it's mm. inspiration. Yeah. Mm. Um, I think that, uh, I had a mental idea of how things should be. That was how I, I was uh, working in my head and in my body. You know, I should have this shape. You know, having a scoliosis, you keep yourself, uh, you try to uh, be upright without that kind of support. And that's really a struggling for many years. So that uh, when you try to, uh, be upright with the concept that we have learned in general 
from the old fitness programs and so on, uh, what it happens is that you become quite of rigid to be a kind of standing up. So that rigidity does not allow you to be fully graceful in the movements, to be fully uh, in your own embodiment. So it's almost like a, a frozen picture of yourself. And when you slowly understand how important is understanding the support, understanding the space, and how you... For me, it was almost like a moment in my life that I saw my scoliosis as my potential to improvement instead of thinking of my scoliosis as an excuse of not being right. So it was really like kind of, okay, making friends with my own body, with my own experience and so on. So that was really, uh, that has been very important for me. And this is something that I'm trying to transmit to the teenagers when I have someone with scoliosis or other kind of, kind of problems or diagnosis that we try to put this kind of... Uh, names or tags to people and and you become your scoliosis or you become your uh, knee arthrosis or you become without bringing that fluidity and 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 just reconsider what can i do for myself to be inhabit that space and so it requires to go really inside and and from there find a, a place to rest, a place to be, and, and see how, how you can go out from there without pain, without um, an emotional shaking, and, and so on. Viviana, I can really speak to the rolfing and scoliosis as well. That's what brought me to get rolfed. I was in college complaining of back pain. Mm. Scoliosis running kind of in the family, my mom suffered from it and she was, told me, she's like, find a rolfer. It's the one thing that really helped her. Mm. And similar echoing what you and Andrew had, had said, rolfing, I think, really helped capture the potential that you, what you, you could have in your body in terms of mm -hmm. just feeling and moving. Was it a profound experience? No. Did it help with my back pain? Yeah. But um, in college, I was also very much a student of, a lot of those movement modality, uh, mindful practices like yoga, Pilates, and a couple other things. Living, I went to college in, in Denver, so kind of the birthplace of some of these things. And yeah, I feel like the movement work with the structural work of rolfing is such, I mean, there's such equal parts. I mean, I think sometimes in the training, it can sometimes tend to be a little bit more biased to the structural work, but I feel the movement is so empowering into embodying your, 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 your structure. And, mm -hmm. in, and the embodiment isn't about standing in this plumb line with gravity, but your p potential in your own form and not, yeah, you know, I, I have my curves and my spinal humps and things like that. But it hasn't ever really limited me because I've been such a, a mover 
And it's always been interesting when I've gone to get like a regular massage, the therapist is very quick to be like, oh, do you know you have, you know, you have scoliosis? Yeah. <laughs> like they're telling know, me something I'm not I aware of. That, I know that <laughs> sentence that, it, you know, it's like it's something wrong. I was terrified by having one of these corsets, you know, that they put like the Milwaukee brace. I was terrified that I have to wear one. So, um, I think that um, one of the things that I do with my, my clients, and this is and bringing the Rolfing principles to their daily life, like what it means to be standing up, what it means to have a fully breath, what it means to be grounded. So all the, all the sessions, they take something home as an exercise, but something that they're going to relate in their, to their daily life. So one thing is to teach an exercise because we, we teach exercise so people can have a better gesture, a better movement, and, and to bring that into the, their daily life. So I can bring it to walking, to sitting, to whatever they like. So I'm, I'm very fun on, on learning what do they like to do in their uh, free time or spread time or sports. And I, I like to, to learn a little bit about the gestures of what they, whatever they play or they do so I can teach and relate the Rolfing principles to something that they like. So they don't see it. Uh, uh, they want to, to, to do it. They want to explore something that you do daily. And it's much easier than just thinking, okay, another exercise or, or I already have so many exercises and you don't want to put, put stress on someone that they, they tell you all the time, I don't have time or so on. So I ask them, how much time will you um, devote to your kind of daily practice of whatever? And they tell me, okay, I can do really 10 minutes. Okay, I teach you 10 minutes exercise or I teach you a 10 minutes practice. And this is what I'm what I'm trying to do. When I was when I was in Spain, I was looking for other rolfers and I found you. I didn't find many other rolfers in Spain. I know Germany and Austria and Italy mm. and France. Um, are are there others? And and I'm sort of curious how because even when I met people, other body workers and osteopaths in, in Spain, a lot hadn't really known of rolfing. Mm. So I'm sort of curious mm. how mm. how that is for you. Well, it's true. I, I think that we have not done a good job on promoting or probably getting together as a group and, and promote the, the work. Um, personally, uh, being a physical therapy has been much easier for me. I think that uh, a lot of people, they come because I'm a physical therapy who does something very different. So that has helped me uh, to promote myself and, and to work. And I think that also Rolfing has given me a bigger picture as a holistic practitioner that I, I didn't get it as a physical therapy. I think that uh, when I studied physical therapy, um, it gives me a, a title, it gives me a degree, it gave me a possibility of being in, a, you know, in the medical field 
but uh, that was not enough. I was really searching for, for something much deeper in terms of, uh, uh, and massage was not what I wanted. I mean, I felt, I really felt that working with people, but as I said, Rolfing gave me this opportunity, okay, I'm looking at the person through the body reading, I'm understanding what's going on, and then all the principles made me really to, to find that that was really something, a lot of intelligence behind the recipe, and that was so interesting for me. And I'm still think that for 10 sessions, this is the best therapy that you can get. I mean, if, I'm not saying that other therapies are not good, which there are many that they, and I have complemented, but 10 sessions from any other therapy, I think that with Rolfing, you really get a lot. Mm-hmm. Do um so, and you don't have to answer this, but if people come to you for physiotherapy, are you are you doing physiotherapy? Or are you doing physiotherapy from a rolfing lens? Are you doing rolfing? I mean, it's all still just labels. I realize, and mm-hmm. but I'm I'm sort of curious. How are you? You know, how do you approach it, or what what do you what do you say you're doing? Do you not yeah. tell them? Yeah. Uh, it's a mix. Um, I have, um, there are people that they, I will only see them because they are on holiday, so they can, um, I also have, uh, work a lot with uh, Swedish people that they have, they have rheumatoid arthritis, so I was not really doing rolfing, but, uh, I wrote an article on the rolf lines that I explained how the principles of rolfing, I, uh, changed my understanding of the of how to work with rheumatoid uh, patients, and with them, uh, I was not doing rolfing itself. But my approach always with the touch is a rolfing touch. I can do sometimes, you know, I can integrate some other techniques related to like cranial or osteopathy and so on. But when I'm touching someone, I'm I'm really touching someone as a as a as a rolfer and most of people that they come they come because they have a pathology or have have a diagnosis and then um i tell them i i do a lot of educational on them like explaining pain explaining how a working this way could slow down their aging process or the slowdown, whatever they have, and working on prevention. So a lot of people choose when they are in town uh, for long periods, they choose to have the 10 series. And sometimes I see a person uh, one time and then uh, they say, the first session I would like to have it with you. And and then I will I will go to the other physios in in the clinic. So I do that also. Like I have a, I take a look at the person, and then and sometimes those persons they come to me, uh, or or not. But uh, but that's also an option for 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 them. Mm-hmm. But I usually don't don't like to see just a person one time. It's not something that I I enjoy unless you know it's someone that it's already have received work from other rolfers so they are uh, they can buy or, or or so i think that it's it's difficult just to see a person once but you know i mean this 
for the service of the person. So whatever it comes, I, I, I do my best. I tell them we have 90 minutes. This is my best that I can do for 90 minutes. Yeah. So yes, I explained then how much time we're going to have, how many times do you think that, and so I think that we, we negotiate together what's the best for, for the person. I think, I think, well, you were reminding me a little bit of the podcast that we did prior to you, the a woman named Gail Witzler, who is in uh, Denver as a physiotherapist. And there was a lot of conversation with her about people who go through traditional physical therapy training that often when they get out, they're looking for something a little bit more that's involving the person a little bit more embodying and a little bit more of kind of the, the SOMO aspect of the work than just fitness or exercise prescriptions that sometimes I think is kind of the baseline for physical therapy. And I think, and of course, this is a broad stroke. I've never been to physical therapy school, so I don't know that for sure. Just from a little bit of sharing from some of my physical therapist friends that, yeah, that they wanted to be able to, that, that they felt that they're to really meet the needs of their clients to help eliminate any kind of body pain issues that they're having, that they really, that it's way more than just, you know, a couple of exercises and then you're done, that you really have to bring in this holistic approach and how a lot of times people coming out of the physical therapy field, are, their continual education is kind of bringing in more of these embodied type modalities, whether it's bristol, cranial, rolfing, even maybe some of the various fitness. Mm. I mean, I've, I'm a big fan and certified and trained in gyrotonic gyrokinesis. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, I just, I think that's just kind of a fun observation mm. of how rolfing seems to fall in this umbrella of meeting the needs of more to mm. help package whatever modality people are first landed in. Mm -hmm. uh, not many, many fishes in Spain go for rolfing, but they have done a lot of myofascial release. So myofascial release has, has become very popular in, in, in Spain and all the kind of manual and touch therapies related. And, and I think that that's many of those fissures that they go for that, they, they also look in. Already a fissure that is uh, wanted to do like a post-grade uh, or after uh, graduation classes related to touch, I think that they're looking for something different. I think that the touch already is, when you touch someone, it's, it's, you have a totally different approach to the person through the years. I think that touch itself, it's really a, a learning process for us and for the client. So in general, all the physios that they do in touch, they ended up, I, I think in general, finding a bigger picture of the person and not all, only working on this symptomatology or symptom kind of symptoms, 
that uh, they are necessary, of course, because, but I think that uh, for some people it's, it's not enough. Uh, mm. Mm. But the, the, everyone's on their own journey and they're, and it's not just, just because we're all rolfers. It's not like mm. rolfing is the best thing ever and it is, mm. but, but, um, I think with myofascial release, how I understand it, I mean, it, it's great, but it's still, it still keeps those physios a lot of times in their view of segmented of, Oh, well, you have a problem here. So we work here mm. and not, not necessarily getting that bigger holistic picture. Um, mm. how, again, how I understand it, but we all, we do have to start somewhere. Mm. What I think is that um, also what it's important uh, of Rolfing, it's like you, you go yourself through the process. Mm. This is really something that we need to keep to as part of our training. How important is that you get the process, uh, you kind of uh, understand a little bit that... Uh, your symptoms are just part of how uh, you live in your body and how you live your life with your culture, with your education, with your genetics, with whatever it's, uh, it's, it's happening. It's your own kind of vitality that is coming or your own energy. So, you know, I get bored of working only with symptoms. Yeah. And, and that was part of why I wanted to look for something else. And I got bored of working in a mechanical way, you know. It's like a do here, do here, and do here. So I think that uh, Rolfing has given me the opportunity to work in a very different way and adapt my touch to the person and adapt my, the movement or the technique. And I'm, I become very creative depending on who is on the table. So I'm working with almost any kind of patient right now. Uh, I don't need to, to know, um, I mean, no, I remember when, when we started rolling, there were many contraindications to work as, as a rolfer. We were said that we should not work with people, that they have this, and that. And then I realized that if you understand the principles, you adapt your touch, and because touch is communication, so you almost can work with, with everyone. That say it doesn't mean that you will have the same success with someone that has one thing or another. We all have a, the perfect client, and we always want to have the perfect client, but this is not possible. So we get what we get, and I think that through touch, you can do still do a lot, and and for some people, touch is it's just an education. It's a way to understand themselves. That many people are totally disconnected from their bodies, especially today. So I think that that was one of the reasons that I that I think that it has happened that people have come back to our practices because they were uh, they were not having touch. You know, they they're not having the relationships and the approach i mean even if you don't touch people just your own presence is touch so if you're not having that right now with the mask and so on we are avoiding a relationship so i think that it's a, it could be a good moment to educate people that uh, come back to our practices mm. Mm. yeah 
you actually you touched on something that we haven't talked about. I don't think on the podcast yet, but I was just talking with someone yesterday about. So I think it's a good coincidence, which is about the. Um, in order to to go through Rolfing School, you have to have received the ten sessions, and this was something I really didn't like when I first went it because. I was like, I'm paying so much money. I have to pay an extra thousand just to do this. No, I was so, I'm very, I can't be very stubborn. So I was so upset about it. But afterwards, when I look back, I'm like, oh, it's really, it's really important. And especially for, for some of those people who have, who aren't ready and they get the work and they're, and they're not, I mean, there are definitely people who are not stable who still get into the program, but for Mm -hmm. some, for some who aren't, (laughs) Uh, and it does keep it sort of like, okay, you know, you're, you're going to still need time. You can come later, but you clearly, this is bringing other stuff up. Uh, but it is, it is in retrospect, when I look back, so important that we, we do it. And when you were talking about it, it was making me think about like chefs eat their own food. Chefs aren't like, well, I'm going to, I have this great idea. I'm not going to taste it. Here you go. Here, eat this. I'd have no idea what it tastes like. You know, it's like they you have to keep tasting and trying and adapting to make sure. Uh, mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. Well, I think that that's a, it has, it's very important. And I, I see a difference on other practitioners that they have not received the work and they not have been able um, to support a colleague through the process and so on before they start uh, uh, working on, on someone. It's a, it's a key point And I hope that that's a, a requisite for forever in in our school because I think that uh, it makes a, a difference. Even if if when you are young you you just want to go to school and you don't. I didn't even understand because they told me that I was too young and I say I'm too young for what? You know I'm already a PT and already uh, from university and so on. And it was you know I think that uh, today. Um, when I see like uh, people, you know, you you want something and you get it right away. You get information, you know, before we needed to to really reflect, you know, like uh, uh, decide if you wanted to do just traveling. You know, it was so difficult. It was much, you know, being uh, out of your country for a few uh, months or weeks. Everything was much more kind of complex. I will not say complicated, but much complex. And uh, it requires that you were much more secure. So I think that many people that went to Rolfing um, were because they they really wanted to do it. It was not something that you decide, okay, I'm going to do Rolfing, and next week I'm going to do another webinar, and next week I'm going to go. So we were really reflecting about what we wanted to do. And I think that that's something that maybe today everything is happening so fast and people are making decisions from one day to another. I'm not saying that they are wrong, but I think that we we were in a process that, okay, if I'm paying this amount of money with time and if I have to, to leave my, my job to go study abroad and so on, it's because I, I really want to put all my energy on this. I can speak to that. I was also relatively young when I started my training. I was, again, what brought me to Rolfing was I had I, I had the experience of how it brought me more into my body 
from, you know, seeking a rolfer for scoliosis. And then also it was something that, and not that my rolfer was very much, she wasn't so movement motivated, but it was titrated in the practice. Mm-hmm. And in my journey of transitioning out of college into what am I going to do with my, in the real world. In that time, I had a brother who became quadriplegic from cliff diving. And through his injury, I learned a lot about occupational therapy. And so I thought I was going to go back to school for occupational therapy. So I, but I, I took a year off after college, just kind of ski bomb and just do life a little bit. And what kept on coming back to me was like, wow, rolfing has, from what I saw from the lens of my brother's therapy, I was like, I could really see how they had some parallels of how to work with somebody with their body and how to work with any kind of limitations or how to work with new patterns. And so, so with that, and I'm kind of why I'm bringing up this story is there, I had the experience of a true desire to want to Mm. go to training. And when, when I did my training, you had to be college graduate or equivalent to a certain age, 20, I think maybe 23 or something like that. You had to write a long essay. You had to be interviewed and you had to pay cash. There was no financial assistance. So there, like to go through the program, you really, really wanted to be there. And I could see where there is a different type of student because I spent some time in the phase one as a teacher and it was kind of interesting to see some individuals who haven't gotten through the training, have never received a full rolfing series, maybe even, and maybe not even really received any, and was looking at rolf training as kind of a trade school or something just kind of to do post high school is something as a higher education. And those students struggled. Because a lot of the concepts and the training, I mean, when you're talking about trauma and you're talking about life, you know, patterns that you've had for a lifetime almost, this was very hard for, I think, a, a newly, you know, a mid-teen, like an 18-year-old to conceptualize mm-hmm. and to really be able to hold a therapeutic framework and to manage some of these things that were coming up with individuals because they simply just haven't had the life experience yet. Uh And um, so I think to some degree, there is a appropriate age to go appropriate age and or experience to to be able to handle what comes up in the practice, because it isn't just, you know, pushing tissue around. You're you're really working with the person. (laughs) You have to be able to manage that. Yeah, but I I, um, you're talking as a practitioner, right? Or or as a client? Um, I, no, not as a client. I was a teacher. So I saw some okay. students come through okay. 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 and they really struggled through the training mm. because mm. they're having to hold these big concepts that the teachers are talking about and they have no mm. way to, to place it in their life because they haven't had the experience yet. Mm. So well, I, I think that, uh, there is something that it's a life experience that, that of course you, you, um, I'm doing things right now that I never could believe that I'm doing it and it working and managing situations with with people and and emotional issues 
uh, that I probably was not able to to hold the person, the space, the situation. Uh, and I think that that's also a, a life experience. And it's also your own process, how you have uh, uh, gone through your own life and with the situations. And uh, so I think that uh, you do whatever you can do at the moment that you receive the person. And you, of course, I was, I mean, I was fascinated to see you know, my, my te Rolfing teachers, all, all the people than me, how they will, oh, they will come to the body, you know, how they will touch. And, and I realized that many of them, they were not doing many of the techniques that they were teaching us. So that was something that I kept really observing. So it's a way of, of also uh, sustain or support or give uh, the container to the nervous system of the of the person that you i think that you learn it through 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 life and i never understood when they told me that it will take me at least five years to understand the recipe or to be a good rolfer and all these things that, that why why i mean i know the recipe now why but yeah it takes time you need to practice you cannot cook a paella Andrew, even if you have the, the recipe, you need to be there. You need to kind of understand the fire, understand the oil, you know. You need to manage kind of several parameters at the same time that all of a sudden the information comes, not only comes from your intellectual, which is very important because without that you will not understand the recipe, but it's also the information comes from different channels that probably you think and some of the information comes at the same time with through several channels through the years and all of a sudden you you're you're touching or doing this technique or doing and and i have sometimes to reflect and think and separate a little bit from the table if i will have to explain what i'm doing hmm. Yeah, paella definitely not because bacho no problem. You don't need it. That takes like that. Too much garlic? No, please. Uh, <laughs> I'm not a garlic person. No, no, that, that's it's a it's it's very true what you say. Both about the garlic, but also uh, before before the uh, the food. Well, we also we want to be mindful uh, of the time because sometimes what happens is we both Nikki and I love talking to people like you, and we love talking about this. And then some of the times we say we're going to have an hour talk and we end up okay. talking for two hours, two hours. But we, we, we do want to know, is there, is there anything that you still want to like talk about that you're really passionate about right now that you're very much about, you know, what's on your mind or anything mm -hmm. you have going on? Uh, I think that I'm, I'm really passionate now that uh, understanding the Rolfing principles has given me the possibility to, to have a bigger picture of what the person, uh, how to approach a person. And I'm really interested in working with corporates and entrepreneurs and try to do kind of a, a movement a approaches to them for self-care, for prevention. So I'm going to develop a, a wellness, kind of wellness corporate kind of approach related to uh, Rolfing Movement principles. So... I'm going to to work on that on the next few months. I want to have like a, and I'm also going to 
to do some uh, online classes regularly, to have like a, a movement classes that people uh, either could do it as uh, self-care, self-development, self but also if you are a practitioner that you can put it in practice and have tutorials with me, with your clients. So this is something that I'm, I found that they, it's a, a need in terms of movement, how to, to bring that into the daily life, especially now that uh, people uh, are spending so much time sitting and without this kind of uncertainty and so on. And, and I found this, uh, I never thought that it, uh, I would like to, to, to work online, but I'm already doing some uh, coaching sessions with people and I'm really enjoying them, especially to the ones that I have worked before. So it's really working well. So sometimes I tell the person, you send me a mini video, walking, standing up on the floor and show me some of the gestures where you have the pain. So I study the video and then we, we connect within the next few days or even sometimes the next day. And then I, can, I have prepared some exercise or I can uh, prepare tips for the person. So that has been very creative for me. It's a, a new way of, of working, of develop and be connected with uh, some clients that um, it's difficult to see them now or, or we will have difficulties because of the traveling issues. But even if they, we can travel, that could be another option for 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 us as, as rolfers and, and probably we have not explored, explored that. Mm. I love that. I've been doing that a little bit as well with some of my clients who um, are just haven't felt like they wanted to come in yet and I'm still also withholding my practice quite a bit. Uh, mainly, well, two strong reasons. I'm still a little fearful of the of COVID and I have two young little kids at home that I have to be with full time. But yeah, I would love to see more of your movement stuff. I learned about you from some of the stuff you posted on Facebook, doing some of your videos. And I was always like, who is she? What is she doing? What's she about? So yeah, I would love to see more of what, what movement stuff you're putting out. Mm. I think that the rolfing is great that give us the, the possibility of touch and movement you know this is a very i mean it's a very complete uh, way of working and i think that it's a never-ending story i start from very structural and my own personal development has brought me to to work more towards movement which is uh, also a uh, personal learning because of my own limitations, I think that that has become my potential, my own limitations. So I think that um, even people like that. So they, they, when they tell me, oh, I have, have a scoliosis or I have a, this problem. And I say, so what? So now how we go on? I do too, you know. So it's, it's important that we create trust. Trust is, is, is our main goal within working on therapy with the, with the, with the person, create confidence and just, you know, um, what I like it about this profession is that I keep the, the curiosity and the enthusiastic from the, the first day. And that's very important. So how do, um, if you're doing movement things or how do people find you online? Uh, uh, under my name, vivianabadenes.com. Mm. 
and soon I will post the, the online classes and, and, and so on. I like to work with small groups because mm -hmm. I think that I, I really like to, to see, you know, one by one, how do you do the movement? I think that that's what you want to get from me. I'm not interested in big audience so far. Let's see how it goes. Good. Nice. Well, I just want to thank you so much for taking time to speak with us. And I really enjoyed meeting you virtually a little bit beyond the social media platform. And yeah, it's just been so fun to, to talk to you. I, I hope our paths can cross because I feel like we have a lot of similarities and how we found Rolfing, what we're doing with it. And yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure that it's very nice that you put together this podcast and and bringing different people and so it's it's very nice and I, i'm sure that you, you will come back to spain andrew will you uh, you know say is uh, currently the uh, the situation we can't really leave the us no one wants mm. us um but we'll, we'll, we'll see i have to i have a lot of things to figure out and we have to first wait for this travel ban to lift mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. once it, once it does yeah, I, I love your country. I find Spain so um, just really a, a wonderful place. I, I enjoy so much about it. The, the temperature, the people, the the cuisine's a little challenging because it's I'm vegetarian, so it's like it's a. I it's a cook lot of, a vegetarian paella for you. I'm okay. Cooked. I have a duck. All the Spanish recipes to vegetarian, so mm. no problem. Okay. Bueno, no well, muchas gracias para su tiempo y presencia. Y uh, tienes uh, buen buena noche para ti. How's muchas that for my Spanish? <laughs> <laughs> Muy bien. Muchas gracias. Muchas gracias. I always say, I always say that I, without even with the circumstances in America, I always get the best from the USA. Always. Yes. Always in my life. Yes. Good. Good. That's a um, huge compliment since we feel as a nation we're all failing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. So, Great. All right. Well, thank you. Thanks we'll, to you. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thanks for listening to us at Touching Into Presence. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. You can find out more about Bibiana at bibianabadanis.com. Please feel free to leave us positive reviews on your favorite podcast aggregators. And please share us with people who you feel may be of interest. We do this for all of you out there and hope we're making a difference in your worlds. We look forward to hearing back from you and seeing you on our next episode of Touching Into Presence. Bye-bye.